Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Hi there. Welcome to today's program, um, Parenting Behaviorally Challenging Kids, um, Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. Parenting Behaviorally Challenging Kids is not easy. Um, boy, I'm getting a lot of uh, emails these days from parents who are trying to behave to parent behaviorally challenging kids, and uh, it is hard. It's especially hard if things aren't getting better. Uh, you know, if things are getting better, it's a little less hard. Still hard, but a little less hard. Nothing's harder than having things not get better. And regrettably, some of the things that parents of behaviorally challenging kids are told to do actually have the potential to make things worse. So that's why we set this time aside every Tuesday? Well, it's actually not going to be every Tuesday. I'm uh, a little sad about this. Um, This is our second to last uh, program of this year, this school year. I'm going to take a break over the summer. Not that, uh, well, parenting a behaviorally challenging kid doesn't often take a break over the summer, but um, my travel schedule over the summer is such that uh, we're going to have to take a break from the uh, this web-based radio program um, until the fall and uh, school's back in. Uh, as I've always said to the folks at school, you know, they can they can give the kid a new teacher after a year. So if it's been a horrendous year, at least you know you've got a new teacher to look forward to. Parents of behaviorally challenging kids, well, uh, you can't suspend your kid. You uh, can't expel him. You got him. And uh, he's still yours each school year, uh, which means that, uh, well, this is this is hard and it's tiring. And uh, the best way I know to help it be less hard and less tiring is to see what we can do to make things better. So I know we're taking a break over the summer, but uh, for today and for next Tuesday, these are your 45 minutes. We set these 45 minutes of time aside every week. Why am I having trouble talking today? I'm not sure. These are your 45 minutes every week to uh, just uh, kick back, think about who your kid is, why he's challenging. That's the most important thing to know about your challenging kid, why. And you've heard me answer that question many times on this program. Why are challenging kids challenging because they're lacking the skills not to be challenging. If they had the skills not to be challenging, they wouldn't be challenging. 
the fact that they're challenging is proof positive that they're lacking the skills not to be challenging. Uh, we spend some time also on this program contemplating when challenging kids are challenging, when the demands being placed upon them exceed their capacity to respond adaptively, exceed the skills that they have to respond adaptively. And as we've covered many times on this program, uh, that is when all of us are challenging. It's just that challenging kids are lacking crucial skills, and that means that the potential for them to have challenging episodes is higher. They're challenging more often in ways that are more extreme and more easily than most of us, but that's because they're lacking crucial skills. The best the biggest favor we can do a challenging kid is to start viewing them through those lenses, through the lenses of lagging skills. And then the next favor we can do for them is to identify the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion their challenging behavior and to be as specific about those unsolved problems as possible. And the next biggest favor we can do them is to start solving those problems, but not not unilaterally, not by imposing your will, collaboratively. I was talking with some folks this morning who are juvenile corrections officers, parole officers, and one of the most important themes that came up in our discussion, not, not that most behaviorally challenging kids are going to end up in front of a parole officer, but one of the things we established with the parole officers is how, just how much the kids who they're working with have had Plan A in their lives, more than, more than most of us will experience in a lifetime, how poorly Plan A has worked, and most importantly, perhaps, how little we know about the kids' concern or perspective on the various unsolved problems that have remained unsolved in their lives continue to set in motion challenging behavior, and why have those unsolved problems remained unsolved? Because people have been doing plan A. Unilateral problem solving, imposition of adult will, which, if we even know what the kid's concern is, blows the kid's concerns off the table. But of course, while that's common, even more common is the fact that we don't even try to figure out what the kid's concern or perspective is. We're too busy unilaterally solving problems for them time after time after time. Um, now, there's the definition of exhausting for, for the kid because he's losing faith that we adults will ever ask the right questions and figure out what his concerns are, and exhausting for the adults because they feel like they're beating the head against the wall. With all that plan A, well, that's why I do these 45 minutes every week during the school year just for parents to help you switch over. First, to help you switch your lenses Kids not doing it because it's attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, limit-testing, unmotivated. He's doing it 
the challenging behaviors are the result of his lagging skills and us demanding those skills. In other words, specific unsolved problems. Uh, we are demanding skills he's lacking under highly specific conditions. Those are called unsolved problems. The problems are much better solved, much better solved, and solved much more durably when we're using Plan B. And now, the only hard part is getting good at Plan B. But see, I, I'm a lucky guy. I see people getting good at Plan B all the time. I see people getting good at Plan B all the time. And, well, if you listen to my web-based radio program for educators yesterday, then you know that there's people getting good at Plan B all the time without having anything to do with me. They just, they're just reading a book. In the case of educators, that book's called Lost at School. In the case of parents, it's called The Explosive Child. And the neat thing about uh, The Explosive Child is it's gotten so much more specific over the years about what Plan B is supposed to look like. And if you don't feel like buying The Explosive Child or, or reading, you can hop onto the Lies in the Balance website and uh, just listen, if you want to, to all the audio programming on that website. Uh, all the recorded versions of this program on that website. Or uh, watch the streaming video of what Plan B is supposed to look like and what Plan B is not supposed to look like, what kind of trouble people run into. The cool part about seeing people get good at Plan B, this is how I'm lucky, is I get to see also what parts of Plan B they're having trouble with. If you're having trouble drilling for information in the empathy step, join the club. <laughs> it's hard to drill for information. It's hard to know what words to use. It's just hard. And yet, slowly but surely, people get good at it. And uh, my go job, my goal, is to get as much information out there to make it easier for you as I possibly can. Because uh, people are getting good at it. Uh, some more easily than others. That doesn't necessarily have to do with the adult. Sometimes it has to do with the kid and how receptive he is to plan B and whether he has the words. But... The good news is I'm seeing lots of people out there getting good at collaborative problem solving. But once again, drilling for information in the empathy step is very hard. Resisting the temptation before you have a clear understanding of the kid's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem to enter your concern in, or perspective into consideration, that is hard. I know. I'm not laughing. Well, I am laughing. I'm laughing not because it's funny, just because I know how hard it is and how frustrating it can be. I know. And yet... I see people all the time getting better at it. Practice. Your first plan Bs are for practice. This is not magic. It's not a quick fix. It takes practice. Brainstorming solutions with the kid and making sure that those solutions are Realistic, meaning both parties can actually do what they're agreeing to. And mutually satisfactory, meaning that the concerns of both parties have been addressed. Hard, I know. If you want to talk, call in and talk about what's been hard for you, either it's still hard for you or somehow you've gotten over the hump, the call-in number is 347-994-2981.
347-994-2981. If you're not the type to call in uh, and want to send me a question electronically, just go on to the Lives in the Balance website, www.livesinthebalance.org, and um, email me. And uh, sometimes I can multitask on this program and actually answer your question when you email. Sometimes I save it for the next week just because multitasking during this program is not always that easy. I'm going to start with a few emails um, that I've received uh, over the past few weeks. Keep those emails coming. I know I'm a little slow in responding to them, but I will and do. Here's one. I have skimmed your book and watched your DVD. Um, one of my daughter's biggest problems is that she gets frustrated easily and has big tantrums. Um, so what happens if you do the empathy step and the define the problem step but can't find solutions to the problem? We can't figure out how to get her to stop at the beginning of frustration. We asked her and she says she wants to stop but she can't. I really want to help her with these issues but I really find myself lacking the skills. That's what this program's for. That's what the Lives in the Balance website is for. Um, all right, so now here, I'm, I'm reading through the lines here because I don't have this uh, writer on the phone with me right now to explore a little bit further. But um, first of all, that, that your daughter gets frustrated easily and has big tantrums. Um, uh, good news is you're not alone. The, the reason she's having big tantrums is that she's frustrated easily, having trouble solving problems. But uh, embedded within your email, I'm reading between the lines here, is the part that I'm going to glom onto here is um, we're trying to get her to stop at the beginning of frustration. I think that's the problem. I don't think this is an issue of, well, I don't know. It could be an issue that it's going to take some time to get good at plan B. But there's, there's where I always start. Uh, that sounds like emergency plan B. If, if you're trying to do plan B as the child is just beginning to get frustrated, that's emergency plan B. And finding solutions, even if you do the empathy step and the define the problem step, finding solutions when somebody's already hot, not your ideal timing. You want to do steps one, two, and three proactively. But before you can do that, we need to make your daughter's frustrations predictable. Luckily, they are. I'm sure of it. Had some folks in my office yesterday who were quite sure that their daughter's frustrations were not predictable, and then I sat down with their daughter, and she rattled off the list of all the conditions in which she's getting frustrated. Those are unsolved problems. We need to, for us to become proactive, we can't wait for frustrations to pop up. What I usually recommend that people do is um, make a list. Keep track for a week. Uh, keep track of um, all of the conditions in which your child became frustrated. Not necessarily all the conditions in which your child um, 
exhibited really challenging behavior, but all of the situations that seemed like they could set the stage for challenging behavior. That's your list of unsolved problems. And now what you want to do is go after those problems, one or two at a time, maybe three, but one at a time even if you're picking three, and do those steps of plan B proactively. Because just as your child is beginning to get frustrated would be a very hard time to do plan B. Well, because it's, number one, she's already hot, and number two, you might be pressed for time, and number three, if she's already hot and or you're pressed for time, that's not the ideal timing for really exploring her concern or perspective on an unsolved problem in the empathy step. Having her listen to and appreciate and understand your concern or perspective in the define the problem step and putting your heads together to brainstorm solutions that will address the concerns of both parties, that all of that is much better done proactively. And the good part is it can be done proactively, but only if we make a list of the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably, keyword predictably, setting in motion challenging episodes. So we, we won't know, by the way, if there are, um, if, if to, to the writer I'm speaking here, if, if, you're, if you're lacking some skills in doing Plan B, You'll find that out more easily doing proactive plan B because if you're doing emergency plan B, you don't know if it's the fact that you're having some trouble implementing the ingredients of plan B or if it's just heat and um, being rushed that's really getting in the way. So the best way to separate those two is to not have the heat and not feel rushed. And then when you're doing proactive plan B, then we'd get a better read on whether you're having trouble doing plan B whether your daughter is having trouble with certain aspects of Plan B. But the best way to figure that out, along with being the best way to solve problems, is doing it proactively. I hope that helps. Um, you know, I, I find that this is something that people still sometimes do, and that is um, one of the problems they're working on, and this is not a, a problem I ever work on, is what should we do once the kid gets frustrated? I suppose that's something that could be an interesting potential conversation, but it's not your primary focal point in Plan B. Your primary focal point in Plan B is what problems do we need to solve so that we don't find ourselves in the middle of frustration in the first place? You're looking far less for a game plan for what to do once a kid is frustrated and far more for a game plan for what to do so the kid doesn't become frustrated in the first place, let's start solving problems proactively. I, I like this uh, email very much. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, I've been watching some of your Plan B demonstration videos. That means, must mean that they were on the Lives in the Balance website. And thought they looked very effective and better than Plan A. I have a relative that would likely behave better if Plan B was used instead of Plan A. Good. Um, make sure that they that that uh, relatives, caregivers, find the Lives in the Balance website too, if you haven't already. However, being in my 20s, I know that the world has worked and still works through Plan A. For example, there were some actions in my employee handbook for the summer job that in induced immediate termination without any Plan B discussions. Most teachers use Plan A because their classes are loaded with students and tasks and they do not have time for Plan B discussions with students. Since most people use Plan A, 
is there a way to use Plan B to make children and teenagers adapt to Plan A styles of regulations? People have to learn how to deal with Plan A. I'm still reading here because Plan A is common in numerous situations in life without mercy. I suppose. Yeah, there are um, guidelines that lay out Plan A for jobs. Yes, you could get a speeding ticket if you speed. That would be Plan A. Yes, on airplanes when the seatbelt sign on goes on, you've got to put your seatbelt on. Yes, a lot of teachers use Plan A. Now, I, don't, I don't accept that laying down. Speeding tickets, I'm unlikely to put any energy into doing anything about. Um, employee handbooks that describe grounds for immediate termination, that's unlikely to be something I put energy into in this lifetime. Teachers moving away from Plan A and toward Plan B, onto that, that, that's, uh, that we're not going to accept. And we're not going to accept that teachers don't have time to do Plan B because all the Plan A they're doing takes a lot more time than the Plan B they could be doing. Not solving problems takes a lot longer than solving them. So that part I don't agree with. I do agree that there's some Plan A in the world. Um, and I do agree that there are uh, Plan A adults. Um, I've, I run into Plan A every now and again. Um, if you asked me which is more crucial for life in the real world, the blind adherence to authority trained with Plan A or learning how through Plan B to figure out what your concerns are on a given unsolved problem, Identify what those unsolved problems are in the first place. Articulate your concerns on each unsolved problem in a way that other people can understand. Listen to other people's concerns. Take other people's concerns into account and work toward solutions that are both realistic and mutually satisfactory, meaning the concerns of both parties have been addressed. Um, you know, my read on this, even though I'm delighted to acknowledge that there's some plan A in the world is that the world requires the skills trained with plan B more than the world requires the blind adherence to authority trained with plan A. If someone should do something that the employee handbook says is grounds for immediate termination, well, I suspect they'll get immediately terminated, but if we never figure out what the lagging skills are of that person that caused them to do whatever they did that caused them to be immediately terminated, then they will be immediately terminated forever. What we immediately terminate when we do Plan A is all hope of actually figuring out what's getting in the person's way so that they can start working on it. Otherwise, we're just going to be relying on immediate termination forever. So I don't agree that it is predominantly a Plan A world, and I don't accept that our teachers are predominantly doing Plan A, and I don't agree that Plan A is the best way to solve problems with kids. So I don't agree that the world primarily works through Plan A, while perfectly willing to agree that there is Plan A out there. 
And if a kid should happen to run into Plan A, we certainly hope they have the skills to navigate that problem. Well, we certainly hope that they stay calm. Plan B would teach that. Think. Plan B would teach that. Sort through their options. B would teach that. Project potential solutions into the future so as to evaluate likely outcomes. B would teach that. Potentially even help them articulate their concerns to that potentially Plan A boss in a way that the Plan A boss could hear. Plan B would teach that. Plan A wouldn't teach any of that. Is Plan A the best way to help kids learn how to deal with Plan A? Or is Plan B the best way to help kids acquire the skills that they need for when they should happen to run into Plan A in life? Uh, You make the call. Now you know what I think. Another email? Uh, Hello, we've been trying to use CPS with our son, who's very resistant, doesn't participate in anything at school, diagnosed with Asperger's disorder. He fights back when given any instruction that he doesn't want to do, even the simplest instruction. He can only say he wants to have no rules, and why can't we let him do it his way when we probe? My husband has given up already and gone to total plan A. This next line is key. That was me talking, not the email. We are all miserable all the time. Plan A definitely hasn't worked and has likely made him hate school. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you find yourself in that situation. It doesn't sound like fun, and if you're all miserable all the time, that's not ideal. But I think I have a sense of what would need to happen next. But, you know, the only details that are provided in this email set the stage only for me to provide my standard guidance. We have to figure out what your son's lagging skills are. what your son's lagging skills are so that we can move past Asperger's disorder and have lenses on that permit us to understand why we are calling him resistant, why he doesn't participate in anything in school, why he fights back when given any instruction, even the simplest, why he's saying he doesn't want to have any rules. A lot of kids with Asperger's disorder are very concrete, literal, black and white, inflexible thinkers. They have, they get an idea in their head. It's very difficult to shake it loose. I don't know, but you know that Asperger's doesn't necessarily tell me that. So I don't know if that's what Asperger's disorder means in your son's case. But we need to make sure we can understand why we are describing your son that way first. Then along the way to uncovering those lagging skills and helping us get the right lenses on, we'll probably understand as well why plan A isn't working. Then we need to figure out 
the specific instructions that are being given, simple though they might be, brush your teeth is pretty simple, it's only three words, but brush your teeth, those simple three words cause challenging episodes in hundreds of thousands of American and North American households and households throughout the world. Actually, I thought we were going to have a caller today from the UK, from uh, England, but um, they were thinking they weren't sure they knew they were able to going to get the technology to work. Uh, so next week will be their last chance, at least for the next three months. What are the unsolved problems? Uh, what instructions are being given? Brush your teeth. Uh, turn off the TV. Turn off the TV. Four words. The instructions can be simple, but if they're setting in motion challenging behavior, they're surely making life complicated. We need to make a list of the unsolved problems that are setting in motion the behaviors that cause us to say that your son is resistant, fights back, says he wants to have no rules. I'm sorry that your husband has gone to total plan A. I doubt that, well, I know that plan A is not going to help us figure out what your son's lagging skills and unsolved problems are. I know that plan A is going to set the stage for some of the worst episodes in your household. I know that Plan A isn't going to help us understand your son's concern or perspective on these specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting his challenging behavior in motion. These things tend to be quite reliable. I think that uh, Plan A may, not knowing your situation better, I can't make any guarantees here, but this is my experience, may perpetuate your misery. So as bad as I feel about your misery... I um, can offer you primarily uh, support in helping you see your way out of that Plan A haze and uh, into the Plan B territories so that you can start making things better in your household. Now, you asked... is. Uh, in your email, is there anyone who can show us how to do this? Depends on where you live. If you don't have anybody in your area who does that, number one, I want you to know that I'm in the midst of finalizing plans for certifying providers of collaborative problem solving so that there are someday lots of people in lots of different places throughout the world who can provide collaborative problem solving. I want to make sure they're certified so that we don't have people out there saying they're doing collaborative problem solving who really aren't. That's not going to help anybody if there's people out there saying they're doing collaborative problem solving who really aren't. So for the time being, there's the um, video on the Lives in the Balance website to show you what it looks like. There's the audio on the Lives in the Balance website to help you hear what it sounds like. There's the dialogue in the explosive child to help you read what it's supposed to look like and sound like. And let there be no doubt, I'm working on everything I possibly can to make this um, more doable. But feel free to email me back 
Actually, I believe this is an email that I haven't responded to yet, but I'll so I'll email you back and ask you where you live and see if there's anybody in your area that I know. And I'm confident that if there's nobody in your area that I know right now, there will be someday. Next question. How does this CPS process help or work for kids or people with executive functioning difficulties? They know right from wrong, but like you said, they have difficulty implementing what they know in the moment they need to. I can definitely see the value of getting their concerns on the table, having them get the adults' other concern on the table, and involving them in the solution. What can you tell me about how we can help them apply the solutions they've agreed to? I like that question. Truth is, I'm not too picky about questions. I tend to like all of them. Before I uh, answer that, I'm going to read some email here. Uh, That's a good point from one of our emailers. It's cool that we have people emailing during the program and telling me stuff that I could be saying that I'm not saying, which is outstanding. Going back to the uh, mom whose uh, husband is doing exclusively Plan A, the last email, uh, this uh, person's writing in saying, well, we've got to try to get parents, if possible, on the same page to see them through the same lens. Why is the dad continuing to behave in such a way when it's quite clear that Plan A isn't getting the job done? And I'm totally in agreement that some effort should be put into having parents be on the same page. Certainly sounds like mom is not on board with having dad continue doing Plan A, but that suggests, as this emailer is pointing out, that they may need some help working together. Another emailer, another comment. Uh, Even when one is using proactive plan B, it takes lots of energy. It involves baby steps. There are small successes which build on themselves. And yes, there are times when there is a step backwards. Once you start with collaborative problem solving, though it's a process, a skill, it involves certain language that takes some getting used to even situations that might not have turned out as positive as one would have hoped, you learn from those experiences, and sometimes those are the ones that result in the most growth. We have some smart emailers out there who know collaborative problem solving very well. How does collaborative problem solving work with kids with executive functioning difficulties? Well, it sounds like the main issue in this email is less the executive functioning piece. For the unfamiliar, uh, executive skills are just that, skills, organization, planning, impulse control, organization, I think I said that one already, time, problem solving is often considered an executive skill. But um, the question is, what? how can we help people apply the solutions that they've agreed to? You know, my take on that is that you don't want to you don't want to jump into agreeing on a solution no matter who's proposed it whether it's the kid or the adult just because you now have a solution on the table. The best way to help kids and adults, there are adults who have trouble following through by the way on the, the solutions they've agreed to, is to really give thought to the solution, not to 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 give thought to the solution that's under consideration, not to 
jump into the solution and run with it just because you have a solution on the table, but to actually give it some thought. Just because there's a solution on the table doesn't mean you're through thinking yet. You've still got thinking ahead, thinking about can both of us truly do what we've agreed to do? Is it realistic for both of us? Does the solution truly address the concerns of both parties, truly and logically? Are both concerns really being addressed here? Um, and what I'm encouraging people to do these days is I'm encouraging the adults to do a probability estimate in their heads. What are the odds of this solution working? And this is, of course, a randomly chosen figure, but if, if you're only giving the solution a 60 to 70% chance, I'd... Uh, Think then about what it is about the solution you're about to run with that's giving you pause, and um, talk about that. Whatever it is that's causing you to give the solution below 60 to 70 percent odds of working needs to be talked about so that your solution can be modified, refined, um, before you sign off on it. That's my best advice for how to make sure that solutions people agree to are ones they'll actually be able to follow through on. Think about it before they're agreed to. Now, if there's something about your question that I'm not quite understanding, email me back because uh, maybe I'm missing something. But if you've truly identified the kids' concerns, truly identify the adult's concerns. Well, here's the other thing about Plan B. You're giving people who have executive skill deficits lots of practice at some executive skills that they're not too good at. By doing Plan B, organization, planning, Plan B requires that. Impulse control, Plan B would uh, certainly, you know, thinking about solutions and making sure that we've got the concerns of both parties on the table, that would give people some practice at impulse control. Organization, yes, Plan B is a very structured, organized way to go about solving problems. Problem solving? Plan B teaches that in a very direct fashion. So I would expect you to make some headway on Plan B on executive skills just by doing Plan B, but I would also expect a lot of problems to get solved by doing Plan B. But not if the solutions that are agreed to aren't truly realistic and aren't truly mutually satisfactory. I hope that answered the question. If it didn't, definitely email me back. All right, we've got time for one more. Seven minutes left in the program, and I think we can do this one in seven minutes. Um, so let's say, this is the way the email begins, so let's say there's a boy about nine years old. Let's say he's had an eventful life full of medical interventions and uh, has a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome. He has explosions that last from minutes to hours. He can be physically and verbally aggressive. He can also be wonderful and caring and cooperative. I have no doubt about that. He can reason but has a host of delays. He can work at grade level if pushed to do so. The professionals in his life believe him to be willful and want him to attend behavior modification, perhaps in an inpatient facility. So here's the question. How do we determine what is best for him? Will behavior modification aggravate his explosions and make things worse, or will it help? What questions and suggestions do we make to the professionals in his life that would help 
them to determine what they need to do and better understand his need. These professionals include social workers, teachers, principals, pediatricians, child psychiatrists, child and youth counselor, foster parents. Any insight you might offer would be appreciated. Well, uh, just given what you've told us about this little guy, sounds like um, he's had quite a life in those nine years. And that quite a life probably has set the stage for him to be lacking some crucial skills. Of course, fetal alcohol syndrome doesn't tell us what those lagging skills are. It tells us why he might have them, one of the possible explanations for them. I'm suspecting that there's more to his eventful life than just that, given that we have foster parents involved. We now know what he does when demands are placed upon him that exceed the skills that he has to respond adaptively. There's much to empathize. Well, he can also be wonderful and caring and cooperative. There's much to empathize with, with this little guy. Sounds like he's had a hard life. Why on earth would we come to the conclusion, this is not me being hard on the emailer, but perhaps on the folks who have been lending expertise to the mix, why on earth would we come to the conclusion that this kid is willful? I don't get it. Plan A is not going to help us. You know, it's hard for me to make any predictions about how this little guy would respond to behavior modification, and I'm not in a position at all to say whether he needs a stay in an inpatient facility. I'm, I'm just program isn't the form for me to provide advice that's that specific. But the key word here is he has a host of delays. I would simply modify that to say he's got a host of lagging skills. And if he's lacking crucial cognitive skills, then willful would not be the word that I would choose to describe him. And plan A, which is what behavior modification usually includes, plan A with consequences attached, imposed consequences attached, that wouldn't be the way I'd go about trying to figure out what skills he's lacking so that all those people we named, social workers, teachers, principals, pediatricians, child psychiatrists, youth counselors, foster parents, have the right lenses on. Plan A wouldn't be the way to find those lenses. Plan A would be my prediction. I could be wrong since I don't know him. Plan A might be the way to make things look worse and still not have an understanding of what his lagging skills and unsolved problems are. So, and this is, now you're probably getting used to this, this is the standard advice, my insight. Let's figure out what his lagging skills are. Let's get the right lenses on. Let's stop calling him willful. Let's get it out of our vocabulary. Let's download the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems from the Lives in the Balance website. Go to the paperwork section, print it out, and it sounds like you need at least six copies. Social worker, teacher, principal, pediatrician, child psychiatrist, youth counselor, foster parents, you need more than six copies. And let's make sure those people get together and put their heads together and figure out what skills he's lacking so they all have the right lenses on. Then let's keep them together so we can identify the unsolved problems that are causing people to say he's willful, whatever behaviors those are. Then let's start getting good at collaborative problem solving and start solving problems 
one at a time. That's my insight, but that's the insight I always offer. One thing you can count on if you're listening to this radio program, you get uh, reliable insight. It's not going to change. Those are the ingredients for understanding challenging kids better, organizing the effort, and solving problems with them so they don't look willful anymore and so that we're not tempted to call them willful anymore. Thanks for all those emails. Thanks for listening. Um, We're going to call it a day for today. I hope you'll join in next week for our last program of the spring. In the meantime, good luck with Plan B. Talk to you next week.